Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. Happy Sunday, everybody. It's Murphy Houston, another edition of Mile High Magazine. We hope your day is going well. And joining me today is Meg Cowley, Executive Director of Sprout City Farms. Meg, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, we're all good. We're kind of settled in here and waiting for the seasons to change and the holidays to change. And I bet you're doing the same thing at Sprout City Farms, aren't you? We're getting ready to wind down to winter, that's for sure. Well, let's back up a little bit. I mean, you've been around for like 10 years. We are about to have our 10th season next year. Well, that's pretty outstanding because a lot of people don't know about Sprout City Farms. So let's start with that. How'd you get started? What does it do? What does it all mean? Yeah. Well, back in 2009, 2010, we were seeing, my co-founders and I, were seeing uh, that there really was a need in the Denver metro area for um, an independent nonprofit to help all of these different stakeholders realize the dream of turning underutilized urban land into these oases in the city for producing food and providing community gathering space. Um, it's amazing how food can really bring people together. Well, so you're basically gardening. Is we it are production farming. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, see, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> we definitely call our sites farms, not gardens. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is uh, they're laid out like a production scale farm. So they're all at least an acre in size. Um, we average 10,000 pounds of food grown at each farm every year. Whoa, so, whoa, whoa. 10,000 pounds? <laughs> yep. That's incredible. That is a farm. That's That's not a a garden. Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're really proud of the yield that we can produce even in a smaller space um, because we're growing everything organically and uh, really intensively. There's a lot of different crops that you can get out of one bed in a season if you're doing succession planting and things like that. So we really really crank it in. And we have uh, full-time farm managers that are our staff year-round. So it's not like a community garden where people are just having their own little plot that they volunteer in. This is somebody's full-time and a half job. (laughs) Well, this is is big business. It's a lot bigger than what I imagined, Mm. not knowing what you were all about. Now, I got to ask you this, and I'm sure you... I think I know the answer, but you're not affiliated with Sprouts grocery stores, are you? I'm glad you pointed that out. No, we are not. Okay. No, because <laughs> you fact, think that. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, when we got started, um, they were still called Sunflower Market. Yeah, they were. So we didn't expect to have that uh, little confusion there. <laughs> well, so you had Sprouts before they had Sprouts. There you go. <laughs> well, they should have talked to you about that. That's what they should have done. So let's just back up a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. you say these are plots of land, urban plots of land around the city of Denver and elsewhere besides Denver. Right now we're in the Denver metro area. Okay. So we have sites in Denver and Jefferson County. Like where are these sites? Uh, so our first farm that is going on 10 years old is an acre in um, the schoolyard at a public school in southeast Denver. Um, it's near George Washington High School okay. near Monaco and Leedsdale. Yeah, we know where that is. Um, so yeah, we partnered with Denver Public Schools back in 2010 um, to establish the Denver Green School Community Farm. Um, it was the first project of its kind um in Colorado and it's still one of the few in the nation where there's large scale food production going on on school grounds for the school cafeteria. Got it. So we staged a little mini revolution when we got it going. Um had to do a lot of food safety 
protocol development oh, I'll bet. Yeah. lease agreements with the district. I feel like I went through a summer writing course. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, they got to be careful about that. Getting it all together, yeah. Especially when you're dealing with students and other people's children, yep. right? That's yep. pretty much what it is. Totally. So you got to be very careful. Mm-hmm. I know my daughter was a pickler for a long time. She made pickles and they got pretty popular and she'd have them on food trucks and all of a sudden the, the Board of Health comes up. Who's making these pickles? Well, here comes the paperwork. You know? <laughs> oh, so anyway, I know a lot of regulations. Yeah, yeah, I know kind of what you're talking about. So mm-hmm. who who gets these plots of land? Now, do you sell them? Do you rent them? Do you just say, hey, first come, first serve? It's a good question. And what we decided to do when we were first getting started is we wanted to stick to the strategy of mostly working with um, public land. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we knew we had to do this as a nonprofit. Um, So working with the institution of a very large school district, um, you know, that's technically taxpayer supported land. So so we're putting it to good use. Um, We also, a couple years after um, we were running the Denver Green School, farm really successfully we decided okay this is going well we can do it again Um, so we actually put out an rfp a request for proposals uh, to find another institutional partner and the city of lakewood applied to us Um, they had been doing uh, what was called the 20 minute neighborhood initiative around the build out of the w line the light rail that goes to golden okay um it's uh, the Sheridan Station um, was sort of the hub of this community outreach right, right. thing that they were working on. And they wanted to know what resources people wanted to have within a 20-minute walk of their house in addition to the light rail. Right. Um, and so at the top of everybody's list was access to fresh, healthy food. Wow. And number two on the list was community gathering space. So you kind of nailed both those. They were like, all right, Sprout City, come on in. (laughs) Um, So we have an acre and a half in Mount Air Park, um, which is our second community farm site. That's near, it's at 13th and Depew. It's near Sheridan and Colfax. Okay. Over on the west side. Um, And so we've been running that. We're just completing our sixth season there. Um, And then a couple years after that, a similar thing happened with the Mental Health Center of Denver. Um, They built a new site, a child and family wellness center in Northeast Park Hill near 35th and Colorado. Um, I've seen that area. Yeah. It's called the Dahlia Campus for Health and Wellbeing. Yeah, I've seen that. Mm -hmm. And so we built a one-acre farm for them, and we got it going. We trained up the staff. We got the programs running. We built the farm, designed it, and built it out. Um, And after a couple years, they took it over. So last year, they hired on our farm manager as their staff. Wow. So it's really cool. The Mental Health Center of Denver has a farmer on their staff. Wow. Cool. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So we just, you know, we want to keep working with institutions that own land that they want to put to a good use. Um, And we know everybody needs food. You know, we all eat. Fresh Hopefully food. every day. <laughs> I mean, fresh food. Yeah. I mean, we all know there's nothing as good as food right out of the garden. Tomatoes, carrots, whatever it might be. It's like, oh, boy. Not like what you get in the store at all. It's, yeah. It's right there happening. Flavor explosion. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially tomatoes for me. I mean, I could eat them right off the plant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even have to pick them. Yep. That, they're just good. So, okay, you got these institutions and organizations helping you, but who's doing the work? You've got farmers that are helping you. If I... If my family wanted to, hey, I want to do that with my family and teach my kids how to grow things. 
Is that how that works, too? Absolutely. So, you know, it's really a community endeavor. Um, We have a very small, lean staff. (laughs) We only have three people on on staff um, year-round. So um, we have volunteer days weekly, um, and we we really get everything done with the help of volunteers from the community. Um, So folks are always welcome to come out. Um, We're kind of wrapping up our season right now. Oh, I'm sure. Um, But... uh, from April through October, we have weekly volunteer days on Fridays, and the first Saturday of the month um, from 10 to 12 is like a standing open volunteer time, and folks can just drop in and help with whatever's going on in the field. Okay. And then they learn from the farm manager along the way, you know, uh, depending on what's happening that day, it's always an educational opportunity. You know, this is how we trellis our tomatoes, or we're, we're transplanting the, you know, the the kale today or something so these volunteers come out and they they get educated they learn do they get some of the food we love to feed people. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah, we should talk about where the food goes. Well, that was my, that's where I'm headed. Now, now these yep. volunteers probably pick a little something, something for their families if they're volunteering. We like to give everybody a taste of something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. But then where does 10,000 pounds go? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, so uh, at the Denver Green School, um, we are supplying the school cafeteria about seven out of the nine months of the school year. Wow. We can get food from the field into the school meals um you know in the winter even this time of year even though we're not harvesting anymore we have storage crops like onions and potatoes and winter squash sure um so you know we supply the school cafeteria the bulk of the stuff obviously comes in in the fall from august to about this time of year yeah um but it's really great we can meet nearly all of their produce needs um in the fall so, you know, anything that we can grow um, in this climate at the farm, they don't really have to buy it from anywhere else. That saves a lot of money. Pretty fantastic. Yeah. So, so you don't go out to like farmers markets that are so prevalent here in Colorado, especially in the fall and late summer when things start coming in. Do you do that too? No, we actually distribute most of the food right on site from each from each farm. Um, so at Denver Green School, we're supplying the school cafeteria. Um we do a donation-based farm stand. Um, the sixth grade class actually has a mini internship program Ooh, where nice. <laughs> they help they help at the farm stand learning all kinds of skills. You right. know, little business people in training. Well, that's gr- <laughs> but that's great. Yeah, yeah, they're doing math. You know, when they count the change, uh, giving customers their change after they make their purchase. Um, they're really learning a lot of communication skills. Uh, there's there's so many folks that will come shop at the farm stand that are maybe elders from the neighborhood who don't have kids at the school. So sure. they, they wouldn't have a lot of opportunity to interact with these students otherwise. Um, but, you know, and then we see the families also that are shopping together talking about, well, what do you do with eggplant? <laughs> well, really? But that's great. So it's a really, it's a really good um, connector for people. Um, so we distribute food through that. And anybody that is on SNAP, the food stamp program, gets half off. So there's a program called Double Up Food Bucks uh-huh. that allows us to give half price to all of our SNAP customers. Well, that's very important, too, because sometimes they can't afford fresh vegetables like that. And we want to make sure that there's no barrier to people who want to get this food from us. Good, um, good. So, you know, we, we keep the prices pretty low, and um, we work with folks on, on food stamps. Um, we also have a CSA program. 
That stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it's a model where you buy a share in the farm at the beginning of the season. And then once a week, every week throughout the harvest, you come to the farm and you get a portion of what's harvested. Nice. So we have 60 shareholders at each farm and um, they come every Wednesday, you know, from June through October to get their shares. And it's kind of like prepaid grocery shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I get that. Yeah. You know, you come and you just see the sign and it'll say one bunch of carrots, one head of lettuce, and you just move on down and you get to pick out, you know, each of your things. Right. Um, Right. So that helps generate some revenue to cover our costs for the farm operations and a portion of the staff salary. Um, But then built into that CSA program, at least a quarter of those 60 shares are allocated for food access. Sure. So even built into that, we want to make sure that people who need a little extra help can still access the food. So we do snap shares. So once again, those folks get half off the weekly price. Um, We do working shares. So people can come volunteer a certain number of hours on the farm throughout the season, and then they get um, half their share reimbursed. Um, And then we also fundraise to cover the cost of sponsored shares that we can provide to low-income families free of charge. You're really spreading the wealth. We're trying. No, no, you really are. (laughs) And and speaking of wealth, I mean, you are a nonprofit. You mentioned that. Do you you get funding for what you do? Do you need a lot of funding? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, one program that we've been talking about forever that we finally launched this year is called our Cultivators Program. And it's, um, it's a program for people to donate on a monthly basis to help support our work year round um, because all the research research shows that um, the most stable source of income for nonprofits and the the source of income that has the most potential for growth is people right in your community donating to support your cause. Sure. Um, so, so our cultivators can, you know, start at $5 a month. It's like a couple cups of coffee. <laughs> like one at Starbucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and that can really help um, support our bottom line, you know, and, and keep us going through the year. So we do individual donations. Um, we do apply for grant funding. Um, we have some sources of revenue, like I mentioned, the CSA. Um, we also, with some of our institutional partners, have a fee for service so they can help support the operations for the in exchange for all the help they're getting with their programming. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how we, we split it up. Perfect. A little bit of grants, a little bit of individual donors. We have some fundraising events also. Oh, cool. So we just set the date for our 10th annual Uh-oh. Big Bash. Um, so it's going to be right around the first day of spring in March of 2020. It's on March 20. Sure. 2020. 20. I get it. I get that. <laughs> so we want to invite everybody to come celebrate with us at the Mercury Cafe. Oh, the Mercury um, Cafe. That's a cool place. Yeah, yeah. We love them. We've been having Sprout Down. That's what it's called. Yeah. There for the past nine years. Um, well, you can get all this information. You must have a website. Oh, yes. Lay it on me. SproutCityFarms.org. Okay, and all this information about donating, getting involved, how the system works, the big event in spring is all on that website. It's all up there. Well, we'll repeat that again throughout our little broadcast. We're talking to Meg Cayley, who's Executive Director of Sprout City Farms. Now, Meg, why is your work so important to improving the sustainability of food systems here in the Denver Metro area? Why is that? We really believe that... um, 
we want to get especially urban communities back to a greater level of resiliency. Um, and because food is such a need for everyone, um, that means more food production right in our backyards. Sure. Um, and so, you know, it's a really great, these urban farm sites are a really great complement to community gardens, like we mentioned earlier, where some folks really want to just have some area where they can do their own growing, grow their own food. Um, but a lot of people don't have the space or the time or the knowledge to do that. And sure. so that's why we're here. <laughs> well, really? Um, so it's a really good juxtaposition. Like, for example, at the Denver Green School, there is a school and community garden just on the other side of the fence on the campus from us. Um so people can choose how they want to interact with, with the landscape. Um, they can get a community garden plot or they can get a CSA share or shop at the farm stand with us. Um, a lot of folks really appreciate that opportunity to bring their kids out and just get to interact with nature and reconnect to where food comes from and the land and each other. Right. Um, so we really want to support um, those relationships. Um, I think it's really important. You know, we're seeing this sort of, epidemic of some folks are calling it nature deficit disorder with our children you know or they're well, not spending a lot of time outside anymore well that's not that, that's true it's not speculation <laughs> yeah let alone doing urban farming i mean come on and folks you know and a lot of children um you know think that food comes from the grocery store uh oh well <laughs> well so we want to, you know, instill some more life lessons in 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 both youth and adults, um, and help people reconnect to each other. You know, all, there's a lot of studies also that show people's mental health is so much improved when they have these spaces where they can be outside and interacting with other people, people and with nature. Um, it's very healing to folks. It is. Uh, we have a regular volunteer. Actually, she's like our parent liaison at Denver Green School who will regularly say, every time I step on the farm, I just feel my blood pressure dropping. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe more of us should be checking that out. Everybody's got some stress. You know that. Yeah. So what's the hardest part of urban food production? Right now, our biggest challenge is land access. Um, so, you know, we strategically as an organization want to work with institutions that own land, um, but you can't compete with all the development pressure. Yeah. A lot of oh, our farming really? friends, you know, have had farms that they've gotten going over the years, but then it gets sold to a developer and now it's an apartment building. Um, so there's already been a little bit of a boom and a bust in urban agriculture in Denver over the last decade. Um, so, you know, we, we want to make sure that there is still some land set aside for these kinds of projects so that it's not just the whole concrete jungle in 20 years. That's that's a tough battle to fight. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, look around the city. There's cranes everywhere and, there, and more land being taken all the time. And they're ripping down the old to put up the new. And it it's too much. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And we would like to see, so I'm also really active on the leadership team of Mile High Farmers, which is like the network of all the urban agriculturalists in the metro area. Um, and we have a land access committee. And so we have started meeting with developers just to try to float this idea to them of, you know, you could incorporate this into yeah, make it your part spaces. Of your yeah. And people would really appreciate having this to look out their window at. <laughs> yeah. And it's it serves the, 
urban farms, there's such a stacking of functions that they serve. You know, they're, they're open space, they're beautifying green space, um, in addition to all the food and, and everything that comes out of the ground. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they're really helping pollinators, you know. Um, Which are bees, by the way. <laughs> Got to save the bees. Hey, that's not funny. I mean, that's, that's the fact. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. a cousin who's very much into that pollinating situation. She travels the, the country talking about the pollination process, and we better be on our toes. Yeah, I mean, most of the food that we eat has to be pollinated to be turned from a flower into a fruit, so it's a really big deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Talk about what what, what do you grow? I mean, what's good with our altitude mm-hmm. and the weather in Denver? I mean, one day it snows, one day it's 90. Right. I mean, it can be that way. We just had that two weeks ago. So what what is good? We can grow a lot of things um, in this climate. And one thing that really helps is season extension structures, um, which is another thing that we um, have an initiative to work with the zoning departments of these different municipalities in our area on. Um, so there's something called a high tunnel or a hoop house. A who? <laughs> <laughs> a hoop house? Hoop house. Oh, wow. It's like an unheated greenhouse. Okay. So um, you can really extend the season by a couple months on both ends of the season. You can start earlier in the spring and go uh, further into the fall um, if you can just get protection from these really crazy temperature swings, like you said. You know, it can swing 60, 70, 80 degrees in 24 hours. And has. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And in fact, so we have a very small hoop house at uh, at our first farm site. And when we had that first frost a couple weeks back, well, I guess it was almost a month ago now. Sure. October. Everything that was inside the hoop house made it through that first temperature swing. Um, So it just always reinforces to me when I see that, you know, right in front of me, that we need to advocate for farmers being able to build these structures larger and, you know, to really fit their production needs better. Because that can be something that will really help grow the movement and make people's farms profitable. Well, these farmers you work with, talk more about them. I mean, they they have, like their own farms someplace that are growing or are they just i'm done with that i'm going to educate people what how's that work like the urban farming scene in denver and who's in it yeah um yeah it kind of runs the gamut um we we see uh both nonprofits and for-profits um the sector that we'd really like to focus on helping grow is for-profit businesses sure um, sure we don't need any more nonprofits. <laughs> And, you know, there's already competition in the sector, and it's really hard um, to, to keep your, your organization running. Um, so um, there, are, there are folks that focus more on the education side, and then there's folks that focus more on production. Um, but it's, it's kind of anything you can grow. There's a lot of flower farmers coming up. Um, unfortunately, we've seen flower that farmers, huh? people are really willing to um, – pay some money for a bouquet of flowers <laughs> well, they more, do. more than they want to throw down for you know those vine ripened tomatoes they, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> that's, well that's a fact yeah really so that's is. actually a growing segment of um the farm businesses is um flower farming uh there's also microgreens and greens. microgreens what are those so they're kind of like sprouts um they're just 
the plant as soon as it starts growing. Okay. Um, okay. And so you grow it usually in a greenhouse. Uh, you can grow them year round. Um, we work with a producer over in Bennett that has a solar powered greenhouse Whoa. that they grow their microgreens in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're called Emerald Gardens, um, and they're doing some really great work in the community as well. Um, I think most of the folks that um, have been around and tested their business plans and their marketing have seen that um, you not only have to have a good product that you're producing, but you also have to incorporate consumer education into everything that you do. Of course. You know, those of us in the urban scene, we really see ourselves as liaisons to rural agriculture because we're right here in your backyard sure so if you want to see what a farm looks like you can hop over to one of our sites anytime and then we can also explain like how this works and what are the challenges facing farmers everywhere you know um so they're like small farms that are duplicates of the big farms that are out in the rural areas are they not Mm -hmm. they're just same setup practically yeah and and a lot of what we're doing um it's it's really it's more sustainable if it's on a small scale, um, but it's designed to feed you know the local community. So um, all that food you know, like I was saying, that we grow at each farm is distributed right within usually the surrounding neighborhoods. Sure. And so if we can just carve out those spaces and in parks and and other places, we can feed the local neighborhood. And there'll be room for more of them to do that. That's a great idea. Is that kind of what you're? I'm thinking. What's the next ten years going to hold for right. Sprout City Farms? What 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 do you want to do? Mm-hmm. What what changes do you want to make? How do you get more people involved? We have plans for world domination. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it's all vegetables, I'm in. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we've been working on. Um, talking to the Parks and Rec Department in Denver specifically is this campaign for a farm in every park. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big uh, challenge, I would think. Yes, but I think that it's it's really doable because, you know, like I was saying earlier, these spaces can serve so many different functions for people. Um, and an acre actually isn't that much land. I mean, Washington Park is like 150-some acres. You know, <laughs> but, but that does put it into perspective, because I think people think, God, an acre, that's a lot of land. Nah, not really. It's not about that the much. size of a football field or somebody's yard. Yeah. You know, I mean, people live on acres. Right. And take a look at your backyard. That's about an acre, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, we can we can make sure that it's um, planted really intensely. And so that's how we can crank out so much food. Um, but, yeah, we we want to we want to see more of these spaces. Um and what we're really trying to do and what we've always had as a goal from the beginning is to make our model replicable. Um, so not only are we trying to replicate it around town, but we're putting together a toolkit so that other organizations that are interested can not have to reinvent the wheel well, sure. <laughs> and take what we've done and, you know, sample lease terms and food safety protocols and farm designs and things like that and be able to replicate it wherever because we just want this kind of thing to be able to spread like wildfire well is it beyond denver i mean does fort collins have urban farming the springs what's going on yeah yeah and you know uh there's um folks that are saying that in the next 
by 2050, uh, the entire front range of Colorado is going to be one mega metropolis. Well, it's getting that <laughs> way know? now. That, I, this is all yeah. going to be kind of one city. <laughs> well, it might be before 2050. I mean, right. We're just, seeing just, it. Just drive north on I-25 between here and Fort Collins. It's pretty much that way now. Yeah. So you want to get that urban farming all along the I-25 corridor, I would imagine, from Fort Collins to the Springs. Yeah, and we want to we want to feed people where they're at. You know, I mean, there's still there's room for both urban and rural agriculture, um, but we can we can do more in these urban spaces. Um, and uh, yeah, right now we're we're um, looking at potentially working in Boulder County. Um, oh, I think that would be popular. Yeah, in Boulder. Really. And so, really, the thing besides the need for getting people healthy, fresh food and helping them reconnect to where their food comes from and getting them outside. Um, Agriculture is a, facing a huge shift right now. Um, you know, I think most people have heard the statistic that the average age of a farmer is around 60. Exactly, and yeah. And the kids don't want to do it. And the kids don't want to do it because they've seen how hard of a life it is. Yeah, and it's yeah. really hard to make money farming in the current system. Um, the price of food is sort of artificially low. Uh, a lot of other foods are subsidized and so we don't see the true cost sure. of food. Good point. And uh, most of the money um that you pay at the grocery for a bunch of carrots say most of that is going to the distributors and the people down the chain from the farmer. Ah. Know? Rocky Mountain Farmers Union has this chart that they put out every couple of months that says the farmer's share of the dollar. Oh. And it's pretty depressing when you see like oh it's like cents on the dollar is what goes into the farmer's pocket and as hard as they work to make that produce it's just incredibly poor that they're not getting paid more yeah it's a shame yeah yeah Um, so we're about to go through this big shift in agriculture where um the farmers that have been doing it for a while are going to be retiring and most of them 90 percent of them don't have a succession plan um so what we're seeing is okay that tells us we got a lot of work to do to train up the next crop of farmers. Well, that's thinking ahead, though. Yes. Yeah, it really um, is. And so that's what our next farm site is going to be large enough that we can have incubator farmer plots so that folks that have worked for somebody for a couple seasons and they're ready to sort of say, okay, I have the passion for this. I want to I try wanna, it. I want to try it. I want to see if I can make it as a yeah. farmer. They still need to be sort of under the wing of a mentor, though, and have some resources they can share. Um, so we want to make sure that we have dedicated spaces for that before people are ready to just go out and actually, time. you know, right. have no. a big farm. Meg Cali, executive director of Sprout City Farms. You got my interest. Give us that website quickly before we end here is where they can get more information. Sure. It's sproutcityfarms.org. Please join us in this movement. Well, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Learned a lot today. It's good stuff. Good stuff. And thank you for listening. It's Mile High Magazine, and we will see you next Sunday.